0: Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this Word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember... You are loved. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And I will eventually get to Romans 4. Maybe you want to put a marker on it. Maybe you want to put a finger there. Or, or just put one of those little um, um, bookmarks there on it. But we're going to jump into this. And if I were to title this, anything, I guess I would title this, um, Reason to Hope. So if you're taking notes, go ahead and write that down. Reason to Hope. Reason to Hope. Um, on Monday of, the, of last week, um, I was spending time with the Lord early in the morning, and I was actually in Romans chapter 4, and I was just meditating on Romans 4 and just spending some time in it. And, and you know, sometimes you've read something, and they're like, oh, man, you know, <laughs> I've kind of studied this book or I've read this, and um, this right here never really, never saw it like this. And maybe it's just because of where you're at in life. Maybe it's because, I don't know, maybe it's just that's what God really wanted to highlight and, and to pour into your heart, into your soul that day. But Monday, God really um, did something in my own heart, in my own prayer, and reading with the Lord on Monday morning. That it stuck with me throughout the rest of this week. And I could I could not stop reading it every single day, Romans 4, going back to Romans 4. Because it just meant something to me. Wednesday, if you were here, we had a special moment in Romans 4. We had a very special moment um, in midweek on Romans 4 and what God did here on Wednesday I believe was just it was so special the move of the Lord here on Wednesday so if you're missing midweek I, I encourage you this last midweek was was just a very special moment together with family but as I get into this I want to I want to share a little bit as it's developed throughout the week and and and, and I want to start off with the question and I and maybe you've heard it, me say it to you before like Wednesday but I'm gonna read it just like I wrote it, and it's simple. Have you ever, have you ever kept hoping when feeling there was no reason to hope? I feel like there is no reason to hope, but I know that I have to just keep on hoping. I'm, I'm wondering if you resonate with that. I'm wondering if that stuff makes sense to you. Have you, have you kept on hoping when you feel there is no reason to hope? You know, I told you to turn to Romans 4 because I'm reading Romans chapter 4 and I get to this place. And on that day, I'm I'm specifically reading from the New Living Translation. And as I'm reading from the New Living Translation, I get to verse 18 and I want you to see what verse 18 says. We'll get to it as we close off. But it says this, even when there was no hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. When I read that on Monday, I almost like I put my my I, I put like the Bible down on my lap and I was just like, wow, like this really meant something right now to me personally. And 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 what a special verse this is. That even when there was no hope, Abraham kept on hoping. When there was no reason, he kept hoping, believing that he would become. But Be- you know, believing that he would become. And, 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 and in his life specifically is that he would become the father of many nations. Have you ever kept hoping something happened with the lights there, it's scaring a lot of people. <laughs> you guys are good. We just do those things, you know just so. Have you ever kept hoping? When feeling there was no reason to hope. Maybe it's the opposite, right? Maybe you felt this, right? That person will never change. They have, there's no hope for them. <laughs> you know you're probably guilty of saying that at some point in your life. That person's just never going to change. There's no hope for them. There's no hope. Maybe you said this. There's no hope. My circumstance will never come to pass. Or, or this world is hopeless. It's a big mess. It's never going to get fixed. Or I have no hope. I haven't seen anything work out for me. I mean... We could go down the list of all the things that we've said. But you get it, that for some, this hope is just a figure of speech. Like, oh, they have no hope. We might not understand the power of our words, but for some it's become a figure of speech. Oh, this world's a mess, there's no hope. And, and it's become a figure of speech. But, but the truth is, to others, it's actually become a reality. Where they say things, my gosh, nothing ever works out. I have no hope. And they actually believe that for themselves. Or they look at someone and say, that person's a mess, there is no hope for them, and they actually believe it. Or they look at this world and say, and they say, wow, this world's a big mess, it's never going to get fixed, there's no hope for it, and it's actually a reality for them. And for many people it is a figure of speech, but for others it's also a reality, it's what they've made real to themselves. But I'm coming to understand that hope is not found in whether that person changes or not. Hope is not found whether my circumstances comes to pass or not. Hope is not found if the world gets better and if all of its problems are solved. Hope is not found in whether things start working out for me. You guys are with me? Hope is, I'm learning that. As I'm, I, think it's, it's, I think it's because I'm getting older, you know? <laughs> oh shoot, I put my hope in the wrong thing come on, you've put your hope in someone and they failed you. I think I'm talking to the right people. You put your hope in a job and they fired you or they cut your pay. I mean, we've hoped on something and then you recognize, oh, wait, my hope is not in that stuff. My hope is not in that person. My hope is not in that group. Even us as a whole, People make the mistake that they make this their hope. No, no, no. We're coming together, hopelessness and hopeless, and making Him our hope. Even this is not my hope. Yeah, and, 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 and we've experienced that from a very personal level. We, we could understand this. And, and for many of us, we could agree on this, man. It can be difficult. It can be difficult that, that we feel, man, that there's no reason to hope in the things that are before us. But yet, I just keep on hoping. And there's no reason in what I'm going through, no reason in what's, what's there. You know, to the outsider, that stuff doesn't make sense. But to the insider, we get each other. How many times have you heard that here? We get it. We get it. Why do you keep hoping when there is no hope? Because I have something inside of me that is so alive. Outside, they don't get it. But within the family, we understand it. Because our hope is not in what's before us. Unless he's standing right before us, obviously. We don't hope in the things that are shakable and movable. We hope in the things and in the one that is unshakable and immovable as we read last week in Hebrews chapter 12. So because we believe this, we believe that we have faith, that that there is this confidence that is built up in us. And and listen to this, in the unshakable, immovable, unbreakable, reliable, faithful, and loving God. So what do we do? We keep hoping when feeling there is no hope because everything else may seem like it's breaking, everything else may seem like it's moving, but there is a one that stands before me who is unbreakable, immovable, who is faithful, and who is full of love. He is my hope when everything else is shattering. My marriage is shattering. My kids are shattering. My job is shattering. My friends are shattering. My very own church could be shattering. But there is a God that loveth me who is faithful, true, and who is immovable and unshakable. And he is my hope. And he is my hope. And we believe that. We keep hoping. When we feel there's no reason to hope. Listen, I wrote this and I mean this and I love you when I say this. Hopelessness shouldn't be, it's never, it's not a trait that a believer should have. Hopelessness is not a trait we should have. The, the feeling of and state of despair, we shouldn't feel that. We shouldn't have that in us. How many times... Have you heard and and have we spoken even here? We've talked about the story of David and especially David and Goliath specifically where the Israelites were in despair. I won't get into it, but I'll just mention it for a moment. They were hopeless. If you study the story, you'll see that they were ready to accept. Actually, forget that. They were accepting defeat already for their lives, for the whole nation. Even Saul, who was their mighty king warrior in him, he couldn't even, they couldn't even find hope in him. He's like hiding in his tent. He, the, none of the mighty warriors saw. He couldn't do it either. Couldn't find hope in him. But, but then what's interesting is a, there's a young shepherd that comes in. And the young shepherd who we know is David, he comes in with some lunch boxes in his hand. And his whole purpose is, I just want to give some lunch to my brothers who's, who, who, who are out here ready to go to war. And he's walking in with these lunch boxes to feed his brothers, and he sees what's happening. And not one time, as he sees this stuff before him, not one time does he worry, and not one time does he draw out plan B just in case it doesn't work. Since when do we draw out plan B when things don't work? If, I mean, God is faithful. So he was like, who's the one that's harassing you? It's, it's powerful when you read this. Instead, he walks in with hope. And what does he say? Oh, I'll go and I'll fight him and I'll give his body and the Philistines over to the birds of the air. That's how confident I am. I mean, this is powerful stuff. That's how confident David was. I'll beat him, though I've never fought a man. I have fought lions and bears. I'll beat him, and I'll give his body and the rest of their camp over to the birds. Listen, everyone say there was no reason to hope. It's wrong, so but say no to hope. There was no reason to hope. If you were to be there, and you were a betting man and woman, I'm telling you right now, you would put all your money on Goliath. I know, we're not into betting and all that stuff. I get it. But if you were, if you back to the front there or whatever, and you decided you wanted to. <laughs> you guys do fantasy football. It's the same thing. All right. All right, let's get back to the truth, though. There was no reason to hope. If you were to be there and you were to see them, you'd be like, oh, pfft, Goliath's winning this thing. No doubt. Not only Goliath, his men, they're, they're big. These guys are small. You would put all your money into Goliath in the Philistines. There was no reason to hope. To the reader, me and you, there is no reason to hope when you read that. But we're so good because we know the story since children's school. We've been hearing the story. So, so we know it, but if you did not know the story and you're reading it, you'll be like, oh yeah, he's going to die in the next chapter. For sure, he's going to die in the next scene. He's dying, no doubt about it. To the Israelite soldiers, there was no hope. If you remember the Israelite soldiers, if you've, stu- if you've read that, they- what did they say? Whoa, have you seen the giants? And have you seen the giant who does not stop taunting the nation of Israel? And they were talking amongst each other in their camps. They were terrified of the giant. Did you see the giant? Did you see the giant? Oh my goodness, did you see the giant? He doesn't stop talking bad about us. You ever had a giant that has tormented you, that you you go back home and you're crippled at home because the giant is tormenting you out in the field? To the mighty King Saul, there was no reason to hope even for him. He looks at David as David comes in and he's like, hey, King Saul, um, I'll take care of him for you. And what does King Saul tell David? King Saul tells David, what... You're just a youth, and he's a champion warrior. He has fought many battles and has never lost, and you, what have you done? He's like, just, just give me your, um, your gear. Let me try it on. I mean, there was no hope for King Saul. David's brother, when they saw David walking around the camp, there was no hope for David's brothers. What did they tell David himself? Oh, my goodness, you annoying little kid. Don't you need to be back home tending to sheep? They, they, they found no hope in, in, in even him. And, and, then, and then David walks in because the garments don't fit him. He walks to the field. He sees Goliath. And Goliath, Goliath even confesses, there's no hope. What does Goliath say? What am I, some sort of dog that you come to fight me with sticks and stones? Like, what, what are you going to do? And he starts to mock him. And mind you, Goliath has instruments of war that are like, they are heavier than us. And he's just carrying it, like, it's all good, Fling it in the air, and it's like 150 pounds. Like, who flings a shield of 150? Goliath does. <laughs> he does. He's 10 pounds louder than me. He just flings it in the air and catches it, and he's like, let's go. And he sees a little kid with a slingshot, and he's like, son, like, there's no hope. All in this story, there is no hope. You see, I want to make sure I say this to you From a We know the end of the story, so we don't have to get into this. But I do want to say this. See, sometimes we can treat hope like it means to wish. We, we think, oh, I wish, I wish you know. I, I wish, I wish, I wish, um, I wish this would get better. I wish I can be married. I wish I can lose weight. I, I wish I could eat right. I wish I could do that. I wish I could go there. I wish I could be better. I wish I could go conquer that. I wish, man, man, I wish. But I want to make sure that you understand this. You write this in your notes, and five minutes from now when you leave, You go back to those notes. And you're recognizing that to hope in is not to wish away. Wishing is for Disney World and its fairy tales. Hope is not wishing away. But to hope, I want you to write this down, is to have confidence. And to have confidence is totally different than looking at an obstacle in your life and saying, Man, I really wish. Well, you know what? Keep on wishing. Wishing doesn't get you too far, but if you walk into that thing with confidence, that might be better. It's It's what God tells Moses, and it's what Moses eventually tells the Israelites while in Egypt and ready to exit Egypt there in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. Listen to these words. We'll have it up here. It says, but Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Other translation says this. Just be at peace. I mean, that sounds like confidence to me, you know. Like Moses, um, we're like slaves. That's what we do for a living. Have you seen our backs? Like we're slaves. But these dudes have chariots and horses. Powerful horses, powerful chariots. They're they're spearsmen. I mean, they'll spear you from yards away. I mean, they're good. They're good. They they know how to war. And then Moses steps into the scene in their fear, in their worry, in their hopelessness, right? And what does he say in the midst of their hopelessness? He says, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you. There, your enemies. You're not going to see them anymore after this. The Lord's going to fight for you. Be at peace. Stay calm. You know, if you read this story, if you read the story, you realize how powerful and how mighty, or if you study history, how powerful and mighty the Egyptians are. None of this and nothing that Moses is saying makes sense. None of it. There is no reason to hope, Moses. How are us, whether it's people fight all the time. Oh, it wasn't 2 million. It was 500,000. Oh, it was actually 3 million. I don't care whether it was 10 Israelites. They weren't going to, I mean, 2 million have a better chance than 500,000. So I don't care how we complain and Fight about the numbers. The point is, when they were leaving there, they were like, "There's no way we could beat this. There's no way we could run away from this," and none of it makes sense. None of it gives you a reason to hope. But you see, I want to make sure we understand this. We're not to operate like this. We're not to operate like this. We're not to see things through the lens of this world. I need you to understand this. We're to see things through the lens of His Word, and we're to see things through the lens of being co-seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That is totally different vision. When we start to sit co-seated with Jesus in heavenly places and we start to sit through the lens of scripture, we'll start to see giants actually as small. How many times have we said that here? We start to see what? Red seas and rivers as as walking paths to freedom. I mean, we start seeing the what? The impossible become possible. How is it that you do that? How is it that you have hope that you're going to cross the sea and get to dry land? How is it that you have hope that you're going to face that giant and actually have victory? How is it that you can be diagnosed with that and still live faithful? How is it that they can walk away from you and you could still maintain such a joy how is it that you continue to go through what you go through but there's something inside of you that does not shake and you look at that person and you say something that is incredible revelation to them because it's happened deep inside of you it's because there's something that is unbreakable there's something that is immovable there is something that is so alive in me and I am seated now and I'm watching things through the lens of his scripture and through the lens of being seated in Cold seated, better said, in high places with Jesus my Lord. I don't sit alone not once in my life. My wife might not be there next to me, but my beloved is with me always. She might be working one day and I might be miles away from her, but I'll tell you one that's always working right next to me. My beloved sits with me. He stands there and he whispers to me and he speaks to my heart and he gives me the confidence and hope when there is no reason to have confidence or to hope. My God, I feel that. He doesn't leave me. He doesn't leave me. Have you ever kept on hoping when there's no reason to hope? Hmm? Hmm. We're not to operate. Here, I wrote this. I found this. Wrote this. And I want to give it to you. Confidence is not based on you having all the resources needed to take care of, the circum- of your circumstances or even of yourself. Confidence is based upon the truth that God is faithful. Sometimes you say, I don't have the resources. But I have the resource. I have the source. And um, David walked in and his resources didn't look good. The man had a spear. The man had a heavy spear, a heavy shield. And um, David had um, a pouch with five rocks in it. I wouldn't take those resources to war. And a slingshot. I I mean, come on. Just out of respect for the champion, I at least work out a little bit if you're going to go into the ring with him. But you see, his confidence wasn't built in resources going into warfare. His confidence was built that in this truth that no matter what I'm facing, I'm going to get it because God is faithful. Some of us live... Some of us live like this, and I'm not sure if we fully understand this, and if we fully understand it, and we say things like this. Please listen to me, because I can relate to the statement right here. That's why I wrote it, talking to myself here. I talk to myself a lot when I do my messages. Weird. But I say things, probably like you say things, right? And I say what? Well, the only thing holding me together is my faith. Ah. Well, good. So glad to hear that. Regal. The only thing holding together is my faith. Well, what else? Good job. It's supposed to hold you together. You know, Hebrews 11.1, 1, I want to read this real quick. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Passion, the passion puts it this way It says, Now faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. I got, but I'll take another one. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> Powerful. Now, faith brings our hopes into reality. See, th- th- this faith that is holding you together, well, the only thing that I have holding me together is my faith. This faith that is holding you together, it brings your confidence into reality. That yeah, that maybe things haven't changed and maybe things haven't gotten better but your faith has caused your confidence to become your reality. That though things have not yet been seen, that things that have not been seen yet is not necessarily your reality. The reality is that there's something that's alive in me that says and holds on to this truth that at the end of it all, God is still faithful. Amen. And your reality becomes your confidence and it's based on that truth. God is faithful. So when we have this feeling that there is no reason to hope, what do we do? We keep what? What? Maybe that should be the title of the message. We keep hoping, we keep hoping because our hope is our confidence that is based upon what? Upon the truth that God is what? Faithful. I don't normally quote R.C. Sproul but R.C. Sproul said this and it's very powerful. He said this, hope is called the anchor of the soul. In Hebrews 6.19, because it gives stability to the Christian life. But hope is not simply a wish. I wish that such and such would take place. Rather, it is that which latches on to the certainty of the promise of the future that God has made. Man, that's good. Couldn't have said any better. That was good. You know, we've read this passage here before. In Psalm chapter 42, 5, we'll put it up here first. And and it says this, why are you cast down, O my soul? Have you been there? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Hey, have you been there that you just look deep into your soul and you're like, why are you such, why, because I have. Why are you such a mess? Why are you so depressed? Why are you so lonely? Ever been there? The psalmist has. The Passion puts it this way. So then, my soul, why would you be depressed? Why would you sink into despair? Just keep hoping and waiting on God, your Savior, for no matter what, I will still sing with praise for living before his face is my saving grace. We keep hoping. We have confidence. The truth is he, he is still faithful. So we what? So we still sing his praise. Doesn't make sense. Right. We still sing his praise. We still live before his face because there is my saving grace. And the psalmist got that. In Psalm chapter 23 and in Psalm 24, it tells us that our hope and that our future hope will not be cut off. Thank you, Psalm 23 and 24. My present hope and my future hope cannot will not be cut off. In Psalm chapter 147, 11, it says this way, The Lord delight is in those who fear Him and those who put their hope in His unfailing love. Last Sunday, we said what during worship? The word came out that we are the what? The aim, we are the target of His affection. We're the target of his affection. And that's a great word. We're the target of his affection. And we could substitute for the Hebrew word and we could read it this way. Instead of saying the Lord's delight is in those who fear him, for those who put their hope in his unfailing love. Listen to the way we could say this in the Hebrew when you define that word. It's the Lord's affection is set in those who fear him. The Lord's affection is set in those who put their hope in his unfailing love. He he finds pleasure. He sets his affection on the ones who fear, on those who put their hope in his love. The Passion puts it this way. The ones who put his hope on his tender embrace. I'm going to read you the whole verse in the Passion. The Lord shows favor to his godly lovers who wait for his tender embrace. That's cool to call me his godly lover. Like, I'm God's godly lover. That offends you then I don't know if you know intimacy with God. But that's neat, man, that I could be alone with God and he just embraces me with a tender embrace and he says, you're my godly lover. I'm your what? You're my godly lover. Yeah? My godly lover. Special. We are the aim of his affection on those who hope, whose confidence is set upon the truth that he is what? Thank you, Armando. Amen. He who has ears, let him hear. He is faithful. He is faithful. That our confidence will not be cut off. All right, let's get into this and then we'll close off after Abraham. We're going to jump into Abraham real quick. Abraham's life is a marvel to me. That was the introduction. Hopefully you got it. Now we'll get into the word. Let's pray again. All right, we want you to come back next Sunday. Here we go. Abraham's life is a marvel to me for many reasons, but... For one specifically, and I shared a little bit about this on Wednesday. I'll go a little bit deeper now. But his life is just wowing to me. And it's because he, he didn't have to see one thing. He didn't have to see one thing accomplished or one thing given by God in order for him to believe. I want you to really understand that because, again, I'm talking to myself. Like m- many of us live like, if well, maybe if I just then I'll believe. Maybe if I just see it, then I'll believe a little bit. And, and Abraham's like, I don't have to see anything or feel anything or, or receive anything from you, but I'm going to believe in you. That stuff marvels me, you know? That stuff wows me because I think we're, we're a little spoiled. <laughs> I think sometimes I could be a little spoiled. But Abraham didn't have to see one thing accomplished, one thing given to him in order for him to believe and and to continue to believe. And what changed him? I want to read something, and and forgive me for being um, a little long, but just flow with me here so you could get the Abraham story. Let's turn to Genesis 11. I know I told you to turn to Romans 4, right? Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. If you're turning there, it's fine. If not, I'll put it up on the screen. Angel, we'll put it up on the screen, right? All right. We're going to start off with Genesis 11. Let's read about his dad first. One day, chapter 11, verse 31. Check this out. I'm going to read it. From, I'll read it from the NLT. It says, one day, Terah took his son, Abram. At this time, his name wasn't Abraham yet. The covenant wasn't made yet. We're going to jump into that. His daughter-in-law, Sarai, who is Sarah, who's Abraham's wife, he took, his son, he took his grandson, Lot, and he moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans, and he was headed for the land of Canaan. But they stopped at Haran, and they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died while still in Haran. Did everyone catch that? Terah wanted to go to where? Did anyone see where he was heading to? Where did he want to go? He wanted to go where eventually? What was his goal? What was his objective? Canaan, which we know today as Israel. At least the piece that is Israel today, today is Canaan. Canaan was bigger than what it is today, but whatever. So he, his goal is, I want to get to Canaan. I, I want you to see that because the father's heart was for him to get to Canaan. I think something put that in Terah's heart. I think someone put that in Terah's heart. Terah felt the leading of grab my son, grab his wife, grab all his livestock, grab my nephew, grab everyone and everything that belongs to me, pack up the bags, pack up the chariots. We're taking a trip, and he goes all the way um, from east of Ur, all the way a little bit north, all the way west in the Mesopotamia area to a place called Haran. And right then and there, he's like, I'm too old. I'm tired. I wanted to go down south now to, um, to Canaan. But I can't do it, so I'm just going to die here. And he dies in Haran. He couldn't get to his objective and to his goal that was Israel or, in these days, Canaan. How many times have we heard that sometimes God gives the father the dream so that the son could live it out? Legacy. Sometimes I, I've shared this with Tito. i shared this with some of our leaders where I have such a dream and I have such a vision. And I feel like sometimes God says, good, who do you think gave that to you? But then I'm going to go off the notes because this is something I should share with you. And then I come, and I've shared this with some of you guys in meetings, and then I come back here and no one's here and I just bring my son before a meeting starts or whatnot. And I open that door and then he's like, Dad, please put on the mic. And I, and I put my, the mic on for my son. And he comes up here and he just starts shame the devil. He does these things. You know, he, he walks up here. I don't know who he's making, but <laughs> you tell that devil he's a liar. And then we had a meeting this Wednesday and we got here early and he came out here and he grabs the mic and he's, and he he spoke prophetically and he said, You did something wrong, don't worry about it. God will forgive you. You need to come to Jesus. Jesus will forgive you. Yeah, he will. And you shame that devil and you don't listen to that devil, Jesus will forgive you. And he's pacing on this altar. And I'm back there and I open and I open that door and I'm looking at him and I almost feel like God is saying, He's already working out. He's already practicing. I've given you a vision, I've given you a dream, don't get so caught up in that get up and cut up in the one that gave it to you because you'll never know your son might walk the path that you walked and take it to places that you could only dream of taking it I'm just preparing him now keep modeling the lifestyle before him keep echoing it around the house and around his bedroom and keep speaking it with boldness everywhere you go and he's listening and there's going to be a day where he'll stand up there and he might just take over where you left off and take it to places where you can imagine I said okay I'm good with that so Haran wanted to go to a place called Israel and he got really tired and really old and he stopped at a place called Haran and then God said (coughs) Abraham it was for you I had to put it into your father to get to this place but from this place you're not going to just settle here I'm taking you to places that your eye has never seen that your ears have never heard I'm going to give you the land that flows with milk and honey pack up your wife get everyone ready we're going somewhere (laughs) can I be honest I think that's junk did something Abraham I think that stirred something up in him. Let's keep reading. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord came right to Abraham. He said to Abraham, leave your, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family. Go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife. Notice he's no longer when he left Iran, he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all of his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into the household of Iran and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abraham traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp behind the oak of Morah. At, the, at, the, at that time, the area was inhabited by the Can- Canaanites. And verse 7 says, and Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I will give this land to your descendants. How old is he? Okay, and Abraham built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abraham traveled south and set up camp by the hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. And there he built another altar and he dedicated it to the Lord. I love that he's building altars of dedication unto the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord and Abraham continued traveling south by stages towards Negev. Abraham's life makes me wonder. Abraham's life causes me to marvel. Why? In Romans 4, Paul is repeating what is written in Genesis chapter 15 about Abraham. What is it? Abraham was account was counted by God as righteous. See, we've learned what righteousness is here at our nest. But I'm gonna be very honest with you. What qualifies Abraham as righteous? It's crazy. Genesis 15 said God saw him as righteous. Uh, Paul writes Romans 4 and Paul says the same thing. God counted Abraham as righteous. Can I share something with you? Remember that Abraham was some 430 years, 430 plus years before Moses and the law was ever given. There was no law. But yet Abraham was counted as righteous though he had no law to walk in to make him righteous. Or to be a ruler to decide whether he's righteous or not. Supposedly Abraham was what? Around some 2,000 years before Jesus and his teachings in the New Testament? So Abraham, listen, would, would not have been able to follow any of these. But, but God looks upon him and counts him as righteous. I'm going to go even more. Ready? Abraham was counted as righteous before God established his covenant with him. Way before circumcision happened. Because circumcision was the mark now that you belong to me and I belong to you. But way before Abraham was circumcised, he was already operating in a place of righteousness how is he righteous if he's not circumcised how is he righteous if there is no law how is he righteous if christ has not started his earthly ministry and established the word of god the cross and death burial and resurrection how is abraham qualified as righteous abraham was counted as righteous before god established any of these things in romans 4 verse 10 it says but how did this happen was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Romans 4 for me is a big deal. Romans 4 is a really big deal and it's emphasizing this whole thought. Listen, because I'm going somewhere and I'm ending this. He's emphasizing this whole thought that Abraham was righteous without ever having to follow any laws or be held by any kind of restrictions, yet God counts Abraham as righteous. My goodness, does this free me from works and from religion in order to find God or to be acceptable to God? I don't need to do a lick of anything to be acceptable and be found by God. God could just find me in the miry clay because He's good. My confidence is found in the truth that what? That my God remains faithful. <laughs> not, with, not that I remain faithful. It's not in my faithfulness, though that is a holder message. I don't want you to twist that. But it's in his faithfulness. It's in his faithfulness. It's in his faithfulness. And, and we see that even in Abraham's life. And, and it frees me from works. And it frees me from religion. Please, ponder on this. Abraham did not have to operate in any religious activity, in any tradition. And Abraham did not have to sign up and partake of any religious affiliation. Abraham found God and was seen and counted by God as righteous. Why? Here's the answer. Because Abraham had faith. Not the law. Not I belong to the presbytery. Nothing. It was, I don't know, he winks at me. Why? Because I have faith. (laughs) He calls me godly lover. Why? Because I have a faith. And Abraham was operating in this. You see, his father... His father had the aim to go to Canaan from Ur, but instead stayed put in Haran. Abraham eventually takes himself, takes his whole family to where yes, his father could not go. And there's something here. There's, there's something special here about the son fulfilling the father's desire. And we see this in Abraham on many levels. Not just not just earthly father, but Abba, as we sang, "I belong to you." There's something special about him, and he took on this journey. Catch this with all of its uncertainties. How much, how many of you is your life a bag of uncertainties? <laughs> you thought you were gonna have a healthy child, my God, it didn't come out healthy. You're like, we we're celebrating. What the heck? That was weird. Uncertainties. Right? You thought you were gonna live long with them, and then you just got, they just got diagnosed, and you're like, what? What does that mean? We did vows. He thought I was going to be up for everything. Now, Abraham—it's special because he was filled with uncertainties. How about this? How about this? He took on this journey not only with all of its uncertainties, but with all of its dangers, with all of its troubles that would arise because all because he had faith. So you're willing to go to a land that you do not know of with its uncertainties and its dangers and its troubles. And he's like, yeah, why? Because I have a faith. And what does that do for me? It gives me confidence that with whatever trouble, whatever uncertainties and whatever danger, God still remains faithful in it. Wow. Catch that revelation for the day. There's something about that, and it's special when you read him. Faith is always associated with this, with with hope and with confidence, and and Abraham is just such an interesting person. He's the founder of the Jewish nation. He's the the father of faith. He's the father of our faith. He's he's the father of the Arabs. uh, All these different things, right? There was no law given yet. There was no Moses yet. There was no tabernacle yet. There was no Jesus yet. There was no New Testament teachings yet. He had very, he had downs. He had very low lows, real lows, and I'm telling you this about Abraham's life. He was a sinner. He had some very serious sin in his life too but to be called the father of our faith what an honor the father of nations the father of even the gentile believers jews arabs everyone and then we read in verse 4 here it is we read in verse 4 verse 18 exactly where i started off at even when there was no hope abraham kept hoping believing that he would become i pray that you would keep your confidence as a church, as an individual, I pray that you would keep your confidence, believing that one day you would become. Become what? Maybe it's not a father of a nation, but at home you have a little nation building. Maybe it's, it could be different. I pray that you would have, keep this confidence, believing that one day you would become. For Abraham, it was to become the father of many nations. For you, it might be to become a better husband, to be a better wife, that you might become a better friend, a, a better son, a better mother, a better father, and so on and so forth. It could be whatever you know that God is stirring your heart to do. But, but that when there seems to be no hope, that you keep hoping, believing that one day you would become. I'm going to prove to you that this is not just well, you got you taking stuff out of context. You know, this is this is some 2000s. Now we're looking at 4,000 years ago, and and all these things. I'm going to prove to you that Abraham's whole life and his whole life lived out was actually for our benefit. It was. It's for our benefit. Let, let's read. For for you, maybe this, this this will make sense. And then the worship team um can start getting comfortable as we read this. Look at Romans 4:18. Just flow with me here. <clears throat> it says even when there was no reason for hope abraham kept hoping believing that he would become the father of many nations for god said to him this is how my descendants this is how many descendants you will have and abraham's faith did not weaken even though at about 100 years of age he figured his body was as good as dead and so was sarah's womb my goodness isn't it amazing that we get to a place just like abraham that we say i'm just as good as dead nothing no, it's just, just it's, but look at verse 19 And Abraham's faith did not weaken. Even though at about 100 years of age, right, his body was good as dead, verse 20, Abraham never wavered, verse 20, in believing God's promises. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. I love that as he grew stronger in faith, it continued to bring greater glory to the Lord. This is where I said on Wednesday something very special, that the Lord takes us to a place that he continues to humble us so that he could continue to be glorified through us. So that his name is risen. His name is lifted. Verse 21, he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. 22, and because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. There it is. And when God counted him as righteous, it it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. Assuring that God will also count you as righteous if you believe in him. Abraham's story was not just about 4,000 years ago. Let me write a pretty story for you. Abraham's story was, let me tell you about this man 4,000 years ago so that you could also know that God could count you as righteous and all you have to do is just believe today. And you'll be able to walk in this confidence. If we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, verse 25, he was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Are you with me? Here we go, guys. Abraham never got to fully see the promise of the Lord. I promise you that. But what he did see was his mess up. He had a son called Ishmael. What he did see was the promised son. He had a son called Isaac. Guys, he's 100 years old, okay? As we wrap this up, I need you to understand he's 100 years old. And um, he doesn't see descendants, he sees two kids. And um, one of them, he has to like, he kind of kicks him out of the house, and and that didn't work out well. And then he has the other one, and then God's like, take him to a mountain on a field trip. You're gonna you're gonna kind of like kill him. You're gonna offer him up to me. You know when things don't make any sense, but you keep on believing that there's sense in this. So you take your kid up to the mountain to sacrifice him, and everyone that's with him is like, this makes no sense. This is the promised son. This is the one that I guess your descendants are going to come out of. And he's like, I know. When there is no reason to hope, I just got to keep hoping. And next thing you know, he looks because he hears some sound and it's a, a ram caught by the fence. You could almost see how he goes back down, just flexing his muscles to all his servants saying, what would you say? I told you that me and my son would come back to you because I've learned to live with hope when there is no reason to hope. And it's proven to me, it's built up a confidence in me that though my circumstances does not make sense for myself, it is this, that my confidence is based upon this truth that at, it, at, at the end of it all, God is, still remains faithful. Amen. Listen to me. Abraham never got to fully see the promise of the Lord, though he saw Ishmael and Isaac, and then he saw Ishmael no more. <laughs> it stinks, but it's true. But you know what Abraham would never see? he would never see um, Isaac's son Jacob Abraham's dead and you know what else Abraham would never see Jacob decides to have 12 sons God allows him to have 12 sons Abraham would never see Jacob's 12 sons you know what else Abraham would never see Abraham would never see that those 12 sons become 12 tribes that would make up the greatest nation on earth Israel you know what else Abraham wouldn't see while on earth, he wouldn't see Christ and the cross and the many adopted Gentile believers that would also become his sons while living. He wouldn't see any of that. He dies, and all he has in front of him is Isaac. I mean, I don't I don't think we had that much short term memory, do we? When we just read um when we just read this. I'm gonna make you a great nation, I'm gonna bless you, I'm gonna make you famous, and you'll be blessing to others. And like, I'm dying, and I have one son. I will give you this land. I'm gonna give you and 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 Abraham's like, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, he started it. If you're from the house, you know what I'm talking about. He started it. Wouldn't see any of that. Just saw Isaac. Takes his last breath, blesses him. But Isaac has Esau. Isaac has Jacob. There's a bunch of stuff goes off there, and then confidence in God's word is still being accomplished. Jacob has 12 sons, 12 sons. Then Joseph gets all, the 12 sons go back to. I mean, what a story. We could stay here forever. But here we go. This righteousness in Abraham this justified made right set apart holiness in him because there was a faith that never made him lose hope a faith that gave him confidence that it says in in the scripture that we just read in Genesis that he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises see it's a confidence that was not based on him having all the resources needed to take care of his circumstances is that true what does he tell God in his low devotion <laughs> in his devotion what does he tell God God I'm 100 years old, and my wife's body's not working either. He literally tells God that. Me and her, there's something I wanted to say. Remind me later, Kevin, i tell you while we're dunking that donut in there. But, but he's like, it's just not working. At 100 years old, it's not working. And God's like, finally, to the place where it's not working for you. Because I want your confidence not to be based on the resources that you have to face those circumstances, but I want your confidence, Abraham, to be based upon me, upon the truth that I am faithful, even when your wife's womb and your body does not make sense. It's powerful stuff, man. Even when there was no hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. Remember how we started. That when you feel that there is no reason to hope in the things that are before you, let your confidence be built up. And what do you do? What do you do? Come on. You keep on hoping. You build up your confidence. Why? Because it's based upon that one truth. God is still faithful. Even when this junk doesn't make sense. Stand with me amen. meditate. I want you to examine yourself. Come on, I, I want you to search deep within. Are you looking for resources? Or have you found the source? My confidence is based this truth he remains faithful come on I really want you to do a self-evaluation there and see where you're at with your confidence see where you're at with your hope and see what it is that God is speaking to you today